0: Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you're here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. Thank you so much for standing. Would you be seated? I want to start this morning with a question, and I want you to think about it just for a second. And here's the question. What would you do if you never had to worry about money again? Just think about it for a second. Just think. What would you do if you didn't have to worry about money? Maybe the first thought that came to your mind was the fact that maybe you would travel the world. Maybe you would open up an orphanage in some third world country. Maybe you would do something like uh, start a nonprofit. You'd want to help people, build a church. Maybe there's something like that that would come to your mind. Hold that thought for a second. Hold it there. I want to put up the slide for the dismissal of the Spanish ministry. You are dismissed. And uh, if you you would like to attend, they meet right outside in the youth room. But Spanish ministry, you're dismissed. But with that thought in mind, it can be really motivating when you step back and think, what would my life look like if I didn't have to worry about money anymore? Because money for you and I can be an all-consuming thing. It could be something that not only does it take 50, 60 hours of your week to make it, but then also we stress over when we don't have it. Or sometimes it causes fights between those who have it and those who don't have it. Sometimes when family suffers a loss of a loved one and there's an inheritance and there can be some infighting between the family, money can bring out sometimes the best and sometimes the worst. But in our series, we want to help the church discover what it looks like to have a financial breakthrough. What would that look like if church people were some of the best people with money? Too often, it seems like when we come to church that we learn practical things about life, but we don't learn the practical things about finances and money. Growing up, my parents didn't teach it to me because they never learned it. Uh, debt was something they knew was bad, but they didn't know how to stay away from it. You know, you have a credit card, but how do you not use a credit card when you have no money and you've got seven kids you somehow got to feed? You got to keep the lights on. You've got to keep the cars running. It just seems like debt is inevitable. And maybe that's where you feel like that you're just saying, I don't want to be in debt. I don't want to live this way. I just don't know of another way. And I'm so glad you're here because you may not know this, but the Bible has over 2,300 verses that talk about money, wealth, and possessions. This book that I hold in my hand has a lot to say about how you and I can have a financial breakthrough. I wanna put a verse on the screen. I've been showing it to you every week because I want us to have a total mindset shift. And it's the verse Isaiah 48, verse 17. It says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. This is our springboard verse. God wants to teach you to profit. If it's something that he wants to teach, it means we can learn it. And that's what people sometimes fail to realize that the breakthrough is not that you win the lottery. It's not that you go to Vegas and all of a sudden you win big. It's not the fact that you somehow get a massive inheritance or you found out that you're really adopted by some Saudi prince. And, uh, you know, there is, maybe none of that happens. Maybe the big thing for you is that you learn. How to manage your money. And we said it like this. First of all, we said we want to make money God's way. We said we want to move it God's way. That money makes money when it moves. Our system has changed. There used to be a day and age where money appreciated value when it was backed by the gold standard. But we took our finance our currency off the gold standard. So if you were to take $10,000 stuff it in a mattress in your house and you 10 years later come back, the buying power is greatly diminished. So our economy, our whole structure nowadays is that if the money is not moving through the system, you're actually losing value. And so sometimes people think, well, I'm saving money But if you're not making interest off that money, you're not saving money, you are losing money. And so money makes money when it moves, so we gotta move it God's way. We learned last week we've gotta manage it God's way. And this week we're gonna learn that we need to multiply it God's way. And some of you are like, yes, let's talk about multiplying my money. There's a a great little scene in a classic movie I like watching, It's a Wonderful Life. How many It's a Wonderful Life fans in the house? Oh, come on, it's great, it's great. I, I love it on the day of his wedding, there's a run on the bank. It's actually not a bank. It's a, the old Bailey Savings and Loan. And George Bailey takes out his honeymoon money. He had like $2,000. And then, you know, people would come in and say, oh, I want to take all my money. And he would say, oh, Mary, Mary. No, no, $20, Mary. That's, all. That's my best Jimmy Stewart impersona- impersonation, okay? And uh, uh, he, he would hand him $20. And at the very end of the scene, I love it, they're in the bank and they got $2 left mama dollar and papa dollar and may they have kids, you know? And maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe every night you pull out your wallet and you're like, mama dollar and papa dollar. When I wake up, there better be a bunch more of you when I get here. Or maybe that's what you're telling your fiduciary or your money manager. You want them to multiply your money. And some of you just, you're, you know that it should multiply. You, you may be like me that you had no idea how to multiply money. But this morning, I want you to understand something, that some people, they think being faithful with their money means to maintain their money. But throughout the Bible, the word faithful is actually connected to the word multiply, not maintain. And so we have a lot of people that are saying, I'm faithful with my money, and they're trying to maintain it. But faithfulness in the Bible has this idea of multiplication. So you and I, if we are not multiplying our money, we're actually not being faithful. And that kind of sits a little bit heavier, doesn't it? That you and I are supposed to take the money that we earn, and we're supposed to multiply it. And it's not enough just to make it. And here's the thing. Making money, I'm gonna write this down. We're gonna to go to our board, okay? Making money, most people can make money, right? Would you all agree most people can make money? Most people, when it comes to money, most can make it, okay? They can make it. Now, when it comes to managing money, few manage it, only a few. We live in a nation of debt, don't we? Household debt is over $13 trillion, just, just household debt in the, in the United States. We carry a lot of debt. And it's so sad and heartbreaking, the amount of debt that never gets wiped out. And I said, student loan debt, if you file bankruptcy, doesn't wipe out your student loan debt. Also, it doesn't wipe out what you owe the IRS. Two things that they say, no, 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 you file bankruptcy, you still owe those two organizations. So when it comes to making money, most can make it, when it comes to managing, it's few. But here's what's sad: when it comes to multiplying money, many don't do it. There's most people don't. They they don't they don't multiply it. They they just don't. They, when it comes to multiplying their money, they just don't. And we have so many resources, and that's what we wanna talk about because maintaining should not be your goal. Multiplication should be your goal. So how do I move from maintaining to multiplying? That's what we're gonna discover. And here's the great thing. Remember how I told you the Bible has 2,300 scriptures about money, wealth, and possessions? We're gonna to go to Matthew 25, and we're gonna look at one of those scriptures. So if you got a Bible, Matthew 25. If you don't, It'll be up on the screen. Let's turn our attention towards the screen or you can open your Bible or you can turn on your device and look at it there. There's a great parable. Jesus is talking and he says in verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money. And if you have a Bible like I do, a hardback, or maybe you got it on your, your iPad or your phone, would you highlight that word, he invest? He, he, he invested that money. That's huge, that's huge. Notice the Bible continues. It says, and he earned five more. He had five and then he earned another five. So, simple math. Five plus five is? Ten. <laughs> it took us a little while. That took a lot longer than I expected. All right. Five plus five is ten. It's, it's not hard, but he has ten. So, did he maintain it or did he multiply it? Multiply. He multiplied it. Okay. Let's keep reading. Then the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Two plus two is? Easier. Easier. Did he maintain it or multiply it? He multiplied it. He took what he had and he doubled it. It's pretty exciting. Verse 18. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, You gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master, and I love what the master says, was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten the same interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who've done nothing, even the little that they have will be taken away. We think... Faithfulness is maintaining, but faithfulness is multiplying. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would just open our minds, our hearts, and our understanding to this principle of multiplication. I don't believe for a second that you've called us mainly just to maintain something, but I do believe we can take the gifts and talents that you've given to each of us. Some of us in this room, we have five talents. Some have two, and some have one but all of us can take what we've been given and multiply it. We pray your blessing on the word. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. This parable starts off talking about the kingdom of God. So we need to understand that when we're talking about the kingdom of God, it's not this earthly kingdom that we're talking about, but God wants to bring his kingdom to earth. You see, the kingdom of earth operates kind of like this. It's profit over people, it's riches over relationship it's income over impact but in God's kingdom it's always people over profit relationships over riches and impact over income do you see how the two need to be reversed in our society too often you and I even as Christians we can be consumed by our paycheck we can be consumed by the Robinhood app on our phone, just checking how our stock's doing. We can be consumed by checking our cryptocurrency. We could be consumed by going online. What's our house worth now? Or has it depreciated? How it, has it imp, uh, appreciated? What's happening to the economy? You're, you're watching these things. We could be consumed by these things. But understand, the kingdom of God is about stewardship, not ownership. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Ultimately, it boils down to that you and I are not owners, we're stewards. Yes, you may own your home, you may own your cars, you may own your company, but understand the principle that God wants every one of us to understand is we are not the owner, he is. We're just the stewards of it. And as the stewards, he doesn't look at faithfulness as maintaining, he looks at faithfulness as multiplying what he's entrusted to us. And I love the fact that our God is a God of multiplication. I love the fact that God baked into mankind the fact that when you put a man and woman together, they don't just stay two, they have the potential of being more, do they not? You see, you can look at nature. Nature has the potential of being more than just the two. You can put two things together, two animals together, and they have the potential of having more. God baked into the culture, not maintaining, but multiplication. God wants us to flourish. He wants you to flourish. But the struggle is this, how do we do that? Because it's hard when you and I are looking at our weekly bank statements and we're saying, man, it just seems like I never have any money. I'm sure everybody here would love to invest in a stock market, would love to invest in a Roth IRA, would love to invest in a... um, some type of a starter home, or maybe an investment property. I'm sure all of us would love to do that. All of us would probably love it when Costco sells those gold bars for $1,800 that we get in line to buy one of those gold bars. How many of you are hearing about that? Costco's now selling gold bars. Not every Costco, but some of them are selling it. I'm waiting for ours to sell it so I can go get me a gold bar. I don't know what I'm going to do with a gold bar. It's just that I'll carry it around, see what happens, you know, think it'd be cool. But when it comes to our finances, we need to understand we're the stewards, not the owners. But here's the great thing that we said last week, that God has it, the only problem is he doesn't know if we can handle it. So you and I have to step back and exactly what he even said. He said he divided it up based on their abilities in verse 15. He said, I gave based on their abilities. So God's given to all of us, but it's based on our abilities. So God's resources have nothing to do with what he has available, it has everything to do with our ability. And our abilities can grow. You and I can learn to be better with money. We can learn to be better to handle these things. So we've gotta learn these things. So we need first and foremost, number one, a paradigm shift. We need to shift our paradigm. And that's what I wanna start with this morning. I wanna talk about paradigm, principles, and practical. So those are three things I wanna cover this morning, all right? Because oftentimes when we talk about finances, our minds are just like, I don't understand it, I don't deal with it, and let somebody else just handle it. And that's honestly me. I'm the most easily intimidated when it comes to financial statements. But I realize that if our church is gonna operate within a budget, I have margin for mission, if we are gonna go reach our city, if we're gonna build multi-million dollar buildings, then I have to get good at budgets, even though it's not my strong point. But here's the deal, my friends. If a homeschooler can figure this thing out, there's hope for every one of you. I, when it came to homeschooling, terrible, terrible. I graduated with consumer math. That's basically the eighth grade or ninth grade equivalent of math. However, our church has seen an incredible amount of resources that have come our way. We've stewarded them wisely. We've made good investments. The land that we bought for $1.2 million is now worth nearly $2 million, that on its own, if we were just to flip the land, we'd make over $600,000 just in profit. So understand that God can take even the slowest and dumbest of us, and and I'm first in that category, and if you will work at these things, and if you will, what I said last week, be teachable, you can be successful. But we need to understand that we're the stewards of this. You may have some great gifts, and God gave you those gifts, so we need to steward them and follow his principles. So we have to have a mindset shift. And this is the first one you and I need. We don't operate in man's economy. We operate in God's economy. And God's economy is always people over profit. It's always relationships over riches. And it's always impact over income. And we need to put those first because when you have those right, it protects our motives. Some people, sadly, you can, I don't think it's as much today, you can go to a store and the salesman, he's just trying to focus on his commission. He's about profit over people. I've worked with people. They're what I call transactional relationships. They just want to get that quick sale and move on to the next sucker. That's all they want. But as Christians, we care about the relationship, not just the riches. We care about the person, not just the profit. We care about our impact, not just our income. And when we put those first, you'll find that those people, those organizations, those companies, they flourish. I like Chick-fil-A. It's Christian chicken, right? Super good. Have you noticed that they don't seem to struggle even though they're at a disadvantage when it comes to the amount of hours that they're open? They're only open six days a week. But why is it that they're one of the number one grossing fast food chains? Do you think it could be because they care more about their people over their profit? That they care more about their impact than their income? That they value relationships more than riches? And here's the amazing thing. When you follow biblical principles, when you understand that you are the steward, not the owner, all of a sudden God can make it so you are successful. And so that when you step back, you're like, how are we succeeding? So God can allow you to be more successful when others aren't. Think about Joseph. God had given him the wisdom to be able to take Egypt to navigate seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and come out on top. Because why? They had some Good leadership with biblical principles, and they succeeded. So you and I need to step back and say, all right, I need to have a paradigm shift. How am I looking at things? Because one servant, he had five bags, and he began to invest that money, and it earned more. And there was another servant with two bags. He invested and earned something. But the one servant, he took what he had, he dug a hole, and he buried it. But he didn't just bury his treasure. When the master came back, he blamed him. And he didn't just blame him, his life just got worse. You see, the paradigm shift is this. Many of us work a nine to five, a J-O-B, a job. When you are working a job, I need you to understand something. You are trading something. It is not this idea where you're earning something, you're actually trading something. Do you understand that? You are trading your time for their money. That's what's happening when you work a nine-to-five W-2. When you are a W-2 employee, you are not in the business of earning anything. You're trading something. You are trading your time for some money. And when I asked you the question, I actually think a lot of you, if you didn't have to worry about money, you'd be glad to have your time back. Time with your children. Time with your spouse. Time for yourself. Time to have kingdom impact. I think there was one thing, if you didn't have to worry about money, I think there's anything that you would really want to do, I think you just want your time back. And when you work a nine to five, you are trading your valuable time for money. And then your boss will say something like this, hey, this weekend, I'll give you time and a half if you'll work overtime. What's he telling you? If you'll trade me more time, I'll give you more money. The only problem with that, your capacity to earn is limited by your time. You and I need to switch that up and learn that there's a new way. So those are what I call the entrepreneurs. Yeah, you would love to start a business, but you're, you're kind of stuck in that wantrepreneur stage. We're like, I'm trading time for money. That's what's happening. Then there's the entrepreneurs. And our church is blessed with a lot of entrepreneurs. And you are busy in your business. And you are trading money for your time. Some entrepreneurs... They do very well. But the biggest thing about being an entrepreneur, they have control of their time. So they have traded time for money. But then there's a third category that I want to talk to you about, and that's being a sea You say, what's a sea appreneur? It means, see ya, I'm done. Why? Because the system that I've created is now bringing me not active wealth, where I got to work in it, and if I'm not active, I'm not making anything. It's called passive. Passive wealth. What's happening in this passage, they went from active to passive. They took what money they had, they invested it, and that money's now making them money. And you and I, if we are gonna have this multiplication, we need to understand how to move from active to passive. Now, I know this feels like a financial seminar, but here's the deal, here's what I believe. I believe our church can raise $10 million, no problem, $12 million, no problem, $20 million, no problem. If you and I would move away from this shift that I gotta work for the man, nine to five, And he'll let me off for two weeks vacation every year. And just maybe at 67, I can get some social security. Maybe I can get some money out of my 401k. And just maybe it'll be enough that I can sell the little house that I bought in the Bay Area. And then I can finally move to Idaho and live the good life. So you got to struggle for the next 35 years to finally get there? My friend, there's a better way and there's an easier way. You see, there's a system that's created that's keeping you and I just working this 9 to 5, trading our valuable time for money. And I think you want your time back to be able to spend it with your children, your grandchildren, with your spouse in kingdom impact where you can focus on these things. But how do we do that? First and foremost, we need to understand we can't be afraid. Why did the one servant hide what he had? He told us. He said, I was afraid I would lose it. Some of us are so afraid we're gonna lose the job that we have, we'll never pursue multiplication. We're just taking this one little talent and just saying, no, no, I just need to put my head down and just maybe the boss will notice me. Maybe I'll get the raise. Maybe I'll get the promotion. And then we pray and you send text messages. Pastor, pray, I'm coming into that interview. I hope I get that promotion. I hope I get that position. I hope, I hope, I hope. My friend, hope is not a strategy. You're hoping That's as if I would go down to 7-Eleven and be like, all right, I'm hoping to get the lottery to pay off our building. That's foolish. But that's the norm nowadays, isn't it? And I don't mean to put you down and make you feel bad. I'm just saying there's another way, but we've got to step back. And this system was not taught to me. This is not something my dad or my mom sat me down and said, okay, Micaiah, this is how you do it. This is how you make money. No, no, they were broke. But I realized something that if somebody else learned it, I can learn it. So if a dumb homeschooler can learn it, guess what? There's hope for each and every one of us. That we can learn these principles. We can learn. But first of all, we can't be afraid. A fear is a feeling. And it's a learned behavior. And if you're afraid to take that next step, that's going to keep you from taking that next step. And here's what ends up happening. A lot of times we say impulse buying. Oh, it was an impulse buy. You know, it's the December to remember. I just had to buy that car. I just had to buy that thing. It was just an impulse. Can I tell you how many things we do off of impulse? How many things we just do off a feeling? Would you write this down? You don't have to fill every feeling. Sometimes we get discouraged and say, I'm just gonna go for some retail therapy. You don't have to fill every feeling. This is the problem with many of us because we're afraid. We just wanna fill that feeling. So we fill it And we miss out that we do not have to feel it. And too many of us, we go broke trying to look rich because we are trying to feel a feeling. And we have not learned that meaning matters. Meaning is what we want, not just a moment. And some of these things give us a momentary bliss, but we need to focus on the fact that we want meaning. You see, this, this guy that had one talent, the guy who has, the master has the money, He saw that he had talent. He said, I'm given to you based on your ability. So maybe he wasn't a five-talent person. Maybe he wasn't a two-talent, but he had one talent. And the master said, you can handle one. So this servant didn't even see in himself what the master saw in him. And some of you, that's the paradigm shift. That you need to see in yourself what others see. And maybe your spouse has been telling that they see something in you. Maybe your life group leader has been telling you they see something in you. Maybe somebody around you has been saying, I see something in you, and you're the only one who doesn't see it. You see, this servant was capable, and you this morning are capable of these things. You are capable of earning and achieving and accomplishing more. You are capable of these things. And the best part was, it wasn't even his money. I looked up what a bag of gold back then is about $66,000. If you take it in today's equivalent, about 66 grand is what he was handed. Now, the one guy was handed five bags of that, so that's a lot of money, but he was handed at 66 grand. That's a lot of money. He was given his money, so why was he afraid to invest it? You see, God has given you so much and you're just sitting back and saying, oh, I'm just so nervous to invest in it. I'm just so nervous to step out on this idea. And you're just sitting on it. And God is like, no, 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 don't be afraid. You're capable. He's contributed. The only thing you lack is courage. The difference between confidence and courage is one feels better than the other. When you're confident, man, you feel good. Courage doesn't feel good. We're talking about giving toward the building program. We're talking about stepping up to tithe. We're talking about duty and generous in our community. That doesn't feel good. That's going to take some courage. That's going to take some courage, my friend. And so we see that this guy, he needed a paradigm shift. But instead, he buried it. And some of us this morning, you may walk out of here and you're just going to bury that talent. And you're just going to say, you know what, maybe next year, maybe later down the road. And you could bury it. Or you could say, you know, I want to become a multiplier. How do I go from maintaining to multiplier? Well, first of all, you need to see there, there needs to be a paradigm shift, but then also you got to operate by some principles. You say, what do you mean, principles? I love this in verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned. Verse 16, he also, meaning he invested it. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 2, divide your portion to seven or even to eight for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. What's the wise man Solomon talk about? He's talking about investing your money. He's saying, hey, divide it, diversify your portfolio, invest it. Would you write this down if you're taking notes? Money is useless until you use it. Money is useless until you use it. And so many of us, we don't realize that we've got some money, but it's not doing anything for us because it's not being used. We need to use the money that God has provided, and we need to put it to work. The one servant who buried it, it's useless, can't do anything. Even the master said, why don't you just take it to the bank? We could have got some interest on it. So Money is useless until you take it and put it to use. But then understand this, I love this. Money is the most obedient thing you've ever been around. You say, what do you mean? Money does what you tell it to do. Your money doesn't on its own buy in and out double doubles. Your money won't do that. Your money on its own does not go and pay your mortgage. It won't do that. Your money on its own doesn't buy you those Nike J's. You have to tell your money what to do. And when you go to the register, you pull out your wallet and whether you pay cash or you pay by card, you told your money what to do and guess what happened? Your money did it. Yeah. So you could tell your money, I want you to go to a Roth IRA. I'm gonna max that out, $6,500 a year. Max that out. Spouse, both of you, max out that, pre, or that pre-tax so when you later pull that money out, you've got more and it's already pre-taxed. Everybody's mad at Peter Thiel because he took a one-time eBay investment stuck it in a Roth IRA, and he made billions of dollars. Everybody's mad. But understand, you and I can do the exact same thing, but yet we've got to step back and say, hey, what am I doing with my money? Put my money to use. You and I say, oh, I don't have money to give toward the building program. Yeah, you do. You can tell your money what to do. Your money listens to you. But sadly, some of us, our money is manipulating us, and we're not managing our money. But then also, money needs to go from active to passive. You see, no one's ever saved themselves to wealth. You're not gonna save yourself to wealth. And if you, and I would step back and say, yeah, I, I, I wanna figure that out. How do, I, how do I get there? How do I make that money? You need to understand something. That oftentimes, our money is something that we can be manipulated by, and we start worshiping money, because money, is interesting because money kind of promises things that God promises. Money kind of promises to provide for us. And we kind of need it. It's kind of like that necessary evil. But money also promises to protect us from ruin our hardships. This is kind of what we think. We think when we got a pocket full of money or a bank account full of money, we kind of feel a little bit invincible. And then as we see that account dwindle, all of a sudden we start to see a little we like uh, feel vulnerable. When we don't have some money. That's interesting. I wish we felt the same about God that when we haven't spent time with God, that we just felt like, man, something's off. That, oh, I just feel a little bit vulnerable. I just haven't gotten enough of God. Because many of us, we just had this dollar amount in our mind that if I just had this dollar amount, man, I'd be feeling really secure. I'd be feeling really good. But we have God on our side. How come we don't feel the same when we've got God? No, you see, money has become our God. And sadly, we need to become the the. Managers of our money, and we need to overcome those things. You see, when it comes to money, we will either worship money or we'll worship with our money. When it comes to our money, we will either worship money or we're gonna worship with our money. You see, each and every week, you say, Why do we bring our tithes and offerings on the first day of the week? We're saying, God, you're first. I give God the first of my day, the morning, I give that to God. That's my time of prayer, my time of devotions. But then Sunday, that's the first day of the week, I give that to God. And then I set aside a portion of my paycheck and say, God, it's yours first. Before I pay any of my bills, the first check we write is the one for God. Not that God demands it or needs it, but understand this. I want to worship God with my money. I don't want to worship money. But it's amazing that for me, the more I keep, the more I start to get this mentality that it's mine. And I start thinking like an owner and not a steward. But when I start being acting like a steward and releasing that money, all of a sudden God's like, I can trust him and I can give him more. Because remember, it's not that God doesn't have it available. It's that he's looking for people who will grow their ability. And I want to be a person that God's saying, that Micaiah, that homeschooler. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want him to be teaching School or anything, but man, give him some money. He'll steward it to the right places. He'll make sure it gets to the right people. You see, that's what God is looking for. But how do we put that into practice? Verse 29, I love this. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. I love that. You see, Jesus is teaching a parable, and all of a sudden he goes from a parable to a promise. And I love that. Because he's teaching, and that's what he wanted to get to. To those who use well, to those who manage their money, they are given even more. If you manage it, you're going to give even more if you know how to use these principles. And so the practical is this, that God says, I want to steward more. You see, God can change the outcome of your income. God can change that in a moment this morning. And many times we just step back and we just think, well, you know, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. That must mean poor financially. No, no. God wants you to have for your family and be able to bless others. God wants you to have that. Now, this is not, oh, if you die, then all of a sudden God's like this genie and he does for you. No, 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 We're talking about what are the practicals. First of all, this promise and the strength of this promise is determined by the source of the promise. And Jesus is the source. So we could trust him and say, Lord, okay, I could trust you with this finances. Lord, you can help me. This is something my wife and I, we practice we've said, Lord, we're just gonna keep putting you first. Even when it's hard, even when it hurts, we're just gonna keep putting you first. And all of a sudden we just step back and we look at all God's blessings, how he provides, and how God shows up in miraculous ways. And sometimes it's right at the very last minute. But understand, that's my finances is one of my biggest faith building tools. You wanna build your faith? Start with your finances. Your faith and finances, they're like married to each other. And if you want your faith to grow, say, Lord, I'm gonna start trusting you with my finances. And you will see your faith grow. And maybe it'll be this. Maybe you'll be at a gas station. You'll be pumping your gas and you're gonna look over at somebody who their car keeps saying declined. And you're like, oh man, I don't wanna. (laughs) Of all the pumps I had to be at, I gotta be across a person whose car is getting declined. But maybe God's gonna put it on your heart to touch that person's life. Or maybe it's going to be the fact that somebody else is struggling and you can meet that need. Don't you want to be in that position? Don't you want to be that type of person that says, I've managed my money well and I've multiplied it. So now my money has gone from active to passive. And passive income is so much stronger. Jane and I have tried to set up principles where we we moved away from active to passive. In 2018, Jane and I set a goal in 10 years to no longer take a paycheck from Southridge Church. That's been our goal. And it's something that I'm like, oh man, how are we gonna do that? So we already started practicing. So we knew we needed to get an outside income. We needed we knew we needed to go passive. Passive income is when I sleep, I'm making money, folks. When you sleep, what's happening with your money? Are you making any money? You say, oh man, you just seem like you really want to talk about money. No, no, you don't understand. My friend, some of you are so trapped and bound by money, and I'm tired of you having to feel like, man, I can't be at church on a Sunday because i got to go make that extra. i got to go trade some time for money to go buy my kids who are entitled something that maybe they'll like me a little bit better. And your kids may like you for five minutes because you bought them that thing instead of building a real relationship. Your kids would rather have you. Your grandkids would rather have you. Your spouse would rather have you. They want the moments, not just some stuff. And we're trying to help, and I'm trying to give you practicals so the first one understand. God says, if you will use this wisely, he'll bless. But then here's a question for you. Do you seek his direction before settling on a decision? Before you make a decision, have you sought his direction? I think sometimes we just make these decisions. I'm gonna move here, I'm gonna go buy this, I'm gonna go spend this, I'm gonna go loan the money here. Have you sought his guidance first? That's practical. But have you prayed over that expenditure? I mean, simple ones. Does God want you to go buy that TV or that laptop or that phone? I mean, simple. You say, I don't need to pray about that, but my Bible says, pray about everything. It even says pray without ceasing. So maybe God doesn't want me to have that. But if I go buy it, maybe he can't bless me with it. Can I tell you there's been times, and this happened last Christmas. My kids really wanted the Nintendo Switch. They really wanted it. And man, they were working. They were like, we're gonna go get a Nintendo Switch. So they went to Costco, took a picture of a Nintendo Switch. Their uncle was like, oh, they already have one. I'm not gonna buy them one. But they only took a picture of it. And all of a sudden they missed out on it. So he had to text and be like, no, 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 he corrected it and it came back and then he came back. So sometimes God's like, yeah, you want to take care of yourself or you want me to take care of it? And some of us were rushing the process. Oh, I got to have that car. I got to have that house. I got to have that. And God's like, how about I give it to you? How about I bless you? How about I take care of you? And some of us, because we are not seeking his direction before settling on a decision, we're missing out on some things. Because you need to understand, this is spiritual, not just strategic. And we think finance is all strategic. My financial decisions, if you were to look at it, you're like, "Ah, that doesn't make sense. How did that work? How have I gone two years with giving away more than our combined W-2s? In the Bay Area. If you look at the financial system, because I understand this, I don't live in man's economy, I live in God's economy. And I need you to understand, I need you to step into this world of faith, that it takes faith. And when you tie faith to your finances, it's amazing what God can do with your finances. Because if God can take an, a, a widow's oil and multiply it over and over and over, he can do the same for you. He can make things work for you. He can provide blessings for you. He can do things as you just sit and seek him first. God could just open doors for you that you just didn't even realize that he could do. But sometimes we just want to make the decision we think we know best and we forget what Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. When the market crashed with the housing, my wife and I, we were like, well, this is our moment. We got to get a house. And I was hounding Jane. We would go to houses all over, and our, our amazing agent, I'd be like, Keiko, let's just go look at more houses. We just gotta go find a house. And, and I found a house on Checkers Avenue on the east side. Checkers, Checkers some of you know Checkers. I've, I found it. I found the nicest house on Checkers Avenue. Had nice metal bars in front of the windows, thick metal bars like thick ones, like it'd take you a while to get into my house. Man, I was like, this is it. This is the house. And I came back and I told Jane, I said, Jane, this is the house. It's perfect for us. And she said, it's on checkers. And I said, it's a nice house though. We'll just pull into the driveway. We'll shut the door. You know, it'll be all right. We won't get out of our car until the drive, driveway door is shut. And, you know, then we'll get out. And she's like, no, You're just impulse. You just feel like you need to have, wait on God. And I was like, no. And we would get in arguments. Well, actually she wouldn't get in the argument. I would start them because I was so driven. Like, we got to do this. And she would tell me, just wait, just wait. And then we found 106 Mainland Avenue. I was like, this is it, this is it. And we put in our offer and our offer gets rejected. I'm like, oh, see Jane, we should have bought checkers. I kept coming back to checkers for some reason. Thank God I didn't live on checkers. No (laughs) offense if you live on checkers. (laughs) All right, if you live there, good for you. <laughs> Multiply that sucker, right? Like, man, God bless you. I just, my, my light complexion would not do well there, right? Like, it just, it, it'd, be, it'd be rough, all right? Our, our agent literally said, Jane could live here. That's literally what she said to me. She was like, she could live here. She's like, I don't know about you. And when the house on 106 mainland got rejected. I was like so frustrated. And I, and I kept blaming Jane. Like, oh, see, we just need to do this. We just need to do this. And if you would have let me buy that house, it would have been all fine. And then we just wait, keep praying, giving it to God. And All of a sudden, our agent calls us back and says, hey, 106 mainland back, came back on the market. And it's cheaper than what you originally wanted it for. You see, my friend, God can do these things, but you and I are like me. Oh, we gotta have it, we gotta have it, we gotta have it now. God, do it now. And God's like, would you wait on me? Would you let me do this? I I was wanting to get our church built. I was like, God, we gotta get our church built. We gotta do this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. And I was willing to put our church in a bad financial situation for a minute. And it's like, oh, should we pull a loan? Should we get a loan? And God's like, just wait on me, just wait on me. And then God opens up this building, allowing us to do ministry, and allowing us to have it at a discounted rate. You see, my, my friend, you've got to step back and say, All right, God, I'm not gonna do it my way, I'm just gonna trust you. And I want to close with this. God will allow you to experience the life that you will settle for. That servant, the master said, Okay, that's that's the life you want. You don't want to learn, you don't want to grow. And if that's us, God will let you settle for that life. He'll let you settle for the life that culture says it's people over profit, it's riches over relationship, and it's income over impact. God will let you settle for that. And you may get success, but it'll come minus significance. And I don't want that for you. And I don't think you want that. I think at the end of your life, you wanna step back and look at your life and say, maybe I didn't accomplish everything, but I have significance because my kids love to come back to my house on Thanksgiving and my grandkids love spending Thanksgiving here. I chose significance, not just success. I chose people more than profit. I chose relationships over riches. I chose impact over income. And you and I can do that. When we say, it's not about maintaining, it's about multiplying this. And how can I move from active income to passive income? Because active income is like a bucket of water and everything you own and all your wealth is in that bucket. And when you take a cup out of that bucket, the water in that bucket is diminished. Passive income is you taking the same cup and going over to a stream a river and you getting a cup of water, the bucket is diminished, the river is not. You see, that's wealth. It just keeps going. Do you want to keep pulling water from a bucket or river? A reservoir or a river? A container or a channel? Because I believe that you have the ability to not just maintain, but to multiply. And you cannot just make an income, but then you can leave an inheritance and you can have impact. That's the goal that I want for you. I want you to make an income. But the Bible talks about a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Two generations of wealth. How are you gonna do that right now at your nine to five? It's in the Bible, but yet we just look at it and we just think, no, no, I got to do it this way. I got to trade time for money. There's another way to do that. Yeah, you got to work your day job a little bit. Yeah, you got to work your day job. Don't quit the day job. Don't be like, all right, Pastor, I went full passive. What do I do? What did you do? (laughs) Don't quit your job. Let's have a conversation. Talk to your spouse or significant other before you did that. But there is a way to move that you can have passive income coming through. And I'll say it like this. Maybe you never own a home here in San Jose, but you can own a home somewhere in this country. And that home could be making you money as you sleep and it's an appreciating asset. I'll say this about real estate. It's get rich slowly. That's what real estate is. And this is not some pitch to do real estate. I'm just saying, what is passive income for you so that you can make an impact? That's what's incredible. Can we all stand? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that God would give you a God-sized idea that would move you from trading time for money where now this idea propels you because I don't want God's people stuck focusing on profit over people, focus on riches over relationship and income over impact. We should be all about people, all about relationships and all about impact. All the while, we are able to take care of our families, our children and our grandchildren. We can do both. It's in this book. It'll teach us how to do it. And I want to pray that God would unlock something for you. It starts with that paradigm shift and you need to have that paradigm shift and you need to go home and you need to talk to your significant other and say, there's gotta be another way. We could figure this thing out. For a couple of Starbucks a week, we can invest that money and we can get some passive money coming through. We can do something different. And I want you to go home with a renewed zeal of what would your life look like if you didn't need money anymore? What would you do? Just think about what you and your spouse would do. It's bigger than a Hawaiian vacation. It's bigger than a trip around the world. Just think about the lives you could touch and you can impact. Just think about whenever there was a big need somewhere that you could just show up and you could just be a kingdom builder in some foreign country. You could just show up at at any crisis with with a trailer full of stuff that the people need whose lives have been devastated. That's the type of impact I believe our church should have. And I believe that you want it. But the only way to get there is for you and I to have this paradigm shift and so I want to pray that we have some people that have some just big dreams and big goals and a vision for something bigger and I want to pray for that with you Heavenly Father I just pray that you would help us to move from just trading time for money for something bigger I believe that you can help us not just maintain our finances but multiply them I pray that we wouldn't just be good at managing money but we'd be good at moving our money that we'd make it in a way that honors and pleases you. That we would choose that people are more important than any profit. That the relationships around us matter so much more than riches. And that the impact we have is better than income. We're here for the E-R-O-I, not just the R-O-I. And so I pray that you would help us this morning. Help your people. God, I pray that we would have a mindset that says, I'm going to go learn I'm going to figure this thing out. And would you bless your people? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I know I didn't talk about how you could know for sure that heaven is your home, but I believe the Holy Spirit can speak. But maybe this morning you say, I don't know Jesus Christ, my Savior. But today, even though you're talking about money, my heart is tied to money. But what would it be like to have my heart freed and given to God? And maybe this morning, the whole time as I'm speaking about finances, God's talking to you about your future and where you're going to spend all eternity. Are you going to spend it in heaven or apart from God? And you say, this morning I want to get that settled. I want, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. With nobody looking around, you say, yeah, as you were talking about money, that's all I could think about was my future. Where am I going to spend eternity? if that's you, can I pray for you? Anybody like that? You say, you know what, Micaiah, just pray for me. Anybody like that? I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. Oh, I see that hand. God bless you. I'll be available after the service if you want to talk more about what it looks like to begin a relationship with Jesus. But the most important decision you and I make is to give our life to him and to live for him. That's when we truly know what it means to be a steward and not an owner. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just continue to bless and guide each and every person. May you give them a great, great financial future. May they seek out ideas from you. May they step back and ask the questions of what could their life look like if they didn't need to focus on money so much. And I pray that they would find that financial freedom and that financial peace. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. You are dismissed. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.